If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Yes, you are. You are different. Well, welcome. Welcome to Life Church this morning. Great to see you. Great to be part of our different series. We're going through the book of First Peter. Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and really, if there was one theme of his book, it's how we are called to be different, different than this culture around us, different than this world around us. And we're in the second part of the series. And this second part, we're going to learn that what is to be different about us is we are called to be holy, according to Peter. We say that word, say holy. holy. Now, normally, when you say that word, that sounds threatening to people. It's like, because if you ask most of us, are you holy? Uh, and even people who would say they know Christ and have known him for years, they would struggle saying that. But we're going to see that Peter has a little bit different outlook on exactly what it means to be holy, and hopefully we'll learn and grow in our holiness today. Well, Peter begins his book, uh, let me read you the very first verse, very first verse of Peter's book. He says, this is from Peter, letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he says this, I am writing to God's chosen people. So very first words out of his mouth after saying hello is he's writing to God's chosen people. And that's important because that's a theme throughout his book. And we're going to see that holiness even comes out of this chosenness. So in the very first verse, he refers to us as chosen. And then he goes on in the second verse now. And he shows us kind of a thread here. I highlighted some different words because there's a progression. And holiness is right in the middle of it. So here's the progression. God the Father knew you. So first is him knowing us. He knew you and he chose you, choosing you as second. So he knew you, he chose you, and thirdly, and his spirit has made you holy. So long before you're made holy, you are known by God, you are chosen by God. This word chosen is really important to Peter. Again, remember, he already used it once in the first verse. He comes back to it again. You're chosen, and I think it's important to Peter because I think he's discovered, I, I, I've discovered this, so hopefully you have, that every good thing in your experience with God ends up flowing out of this product of knowing that you're chosen, this product of knowing you're his son, his daughter, his child, out of that, out of that new birth on the inside of you. All the good things flow out of that. Well, interestingly enough, holiness, his spirit making us holy is the third thing. And then the fourth thing is this, as a result... You have obeyed him. Now, normally in our minds, holiness is a product of obedience. We would put number four, obedience is number four. We'd put that at the top. And if you obey good enough and long enough and diligently enough, well, then the super obeyers, they are the holy people, right? Peter says that's, that's backwards. That first we're known, then we're chosen. Then the Spirit of God makes us holy. Holiness, you see, according to Peter, is a family trait. It's just simply something that God makes you. 
He creates you. When, when, he, when you say yes to his son, he, he puts holiness on the inside of you. And obedience is a result of that. But it all goes back to being known and being chosen. And if I have one goal today, I'm hoping that you leave here knowing that, feeling that, just knowing that you are known by God, you're chosen by God, and life changes. Your, your externals exchange when you get that internal right. I want to read a psalm to you about being known by God. Now, I did this last week. I don't normally do this. I won't do it again next week, but I want to read a psalm to you, and the Bible tells us to meditate in his word. And I think it helps. I want you just to experience this. So would you just close your eyes with me? I'm going to read a few verses of Psalm, Psalm 139. This is King David, and he felt known by God. And here's what he said. So I'm hoping you'll just close your eyes and just try to feel what David was feeling as he wrote this. He said, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You've made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You've knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. And now I just want to pray for you. Father, we just thank you that we are known by you. You know every detail of us. And Lord, you have chosen us. You've known us and you have chosen us. And we thank you. We are eternally grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, the reason I went through that psalm is it's probably one of the chief psalms of just being known by God and being chosen is, is secondary. And you need to feel chosen. You need to know that you're chosen by God. That just solves a lot of problems when that family identity is stamped on you and you know that God loves me. He chose me. I'm in his family. I'm in his kingdom. Now, maybe when you read those first two, God knew me and he chose me, maybe you feel like, well, yeah, I, I know why God chose me because he knew me. I mean, he knew how awesome I would be and therefore he chose me. Probably more of us feel a little bit more like I would say. I'm like, wow, he knew me and he chose me anyway, right? Well, whichever way you feel, the important part is to know that you are chosen. You're chosen. God knew you. He knew that you're going to open your heart to him long before you ever did. He's referring to before you were ever born. He knew you were going to open your heart to him. He knew that you were going to call out to him in your darkness. You may be here and you've yet to call out to him. You've yet to say yes to Christ. Well, he knows. He knows you. He knows your day's coming. 
He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows your faith and your fears. And he chose you. And I can distinctly remember when I said yes to Christ and he revealed himself to me, I didn't even feel lost at that time. I didn't think I did. But even then, as an arrogant 20-year-old, it still felt overwhelming to feel known, to feel chosen, to feel like I belonged. And there is that sense. And that really, the reason Peter goes on about that is because that is that stamp of being known and being chosen is what creates this holiness. See, holiness is simply a family trait. That's what holiness is. It's a family trait. And when you know that you're chosen, holiness is something that you are. He says, he says his spirit has made you holy. He makes you that way. And obedience is a product of it. So if you're struggling, struggling with some obedience, struggling with some habit, struggling with some sin, struggling, struggling with some addiction, I promise you this, your answer is getting further into that root. It isn't just, yes, we are to to fight against sin. But that's not your ultimate answer. Your ultimate answer isn't fighting sin. Your ultimate answer is sinking into your being known. Just reveling and relishing your own salvation. Just worshiping your God. Allowing his grace to flow through you. And out of the strength of knowing that you're known, knowing that you're loved, out of that strength, again, the stamp of holiness is placed upon you, and things change, and it feels good to feel chosen. I, could, I still, it still feels good to know that Raquel chose me. There's a time after when we were dating, we'd been dating for quite some time, and I don't know what was going, I don't know what went through my head, but I just thought, you know, we just need to take a little break for a while, just take a little break, and just make sure before we get married, so I decided, let's just take a little break, and she's, she's like, What? Take a break. She says, well, if you're going to take a break, I'm not just going to, you know, sit on a shelf. You can't put me on a shelf. I'm like, and I'm like, no, 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 let's just take a little break. And so I thought we were just taking a little break, but I found out very quickly that Raquel had options. <laughs> because guys, wolves came out of the woodwork. And, uh, well, thankfully, Raquel, of course, came home well, it wasn't home at that point, but you get the point. I, it feels good to feel chosen, yes, by my wife, but you know what? It feels ultimately good to know that I'm chosen by God, and there's so much that gets resolved. I looked up, and there's just a lot of psychology about what, what gets resolved. I mean, not even, they're not even thinking about God, but just gets what gets resolved in a human soul when a person feels chosen. I read several different articles. I don't know why, but they were all written... Uh, by women from, I don't know. I don't know if women have a greater sense of needing to feel chosen. I guess just because you read 10 articles on Google does not, does not qualify as, <laughs> as research. But interestingly enough, and let me just read you just one. Uh, this, this woman just said that the feeling of being chosen is something that is programmed in us as the most important thing, something that we must achieve. Again, she's just referring to that human need and she's not even thinking spiritually, that human need. Again, I think Peter's point is there's a lot more that gets resolved. A lot more comes out of that sense of being known and being chosen than we might imagine. According to him, holiness is a result of that. Obedience, all of the good things that we do come out of that. And let's go on um, in this chapter. 
Go down into the 14th verse. We're skipping. Now, again, keep in mind, he's talked a lot about being known and chosen. And then he gets to this in verse 14. It says, so, since we're known, since we're chosen, since we're God's kids, so you must live as God's obedient children. Since you are, live as God's obedient children in verse 14. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Remember that? The good old days? Sure. He goes on in verse 15 to say, but now you must be holy in everything you do. By the way, the word holy, the Greek word holy, literally means to be set apart. Set apart. That's its literal definition. It was actually not even just a religious term. It meant to be set apart. It just, when you took something out of a crowd and set it apart, that was holy, set apart, sanctified, separate. And you are. God has picked you out of this world and he has set you apart. The word different would be another way of saying that. Set apart. You're different from this world. So you must be holy, he says, in everything you do. Verse 15, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Notice he goes back to that again. He repeats this chosenness that was obviously amazingly important to Peter, that we felt that, that we experienced this being chosen. The God who chose you is holy. And then he, Peter quotes an Old Testament scripture. He says in verse 16, for the scriptures say you must be holy because God demands it. Is that what he says? You must be holy because it's an excellent idea. You must be holy because it's better than being naughty. Is that what he's saying? No, why? Why, should, why must we be holy? You must be holy because, God says, I am holy. Do, do we see that? This is the eternal God of the universe saying, you're mine, my stamp is on you. Be holy because that's what I am and you are my offspring. You bear my stamp, you bear my name, you bear my nature. My spirit is on the inside of you. It's what we are. Now, if you have said yes to Christ at some point in your life, probably all of us have done this at least once, if not a hundred times. But according to God, that stamp of holiness is placed upon us. And again, it's something that you are. You are different than the world. Now, here's what we've all done at least once. We set out to prove to God that we're not holy. Like, oh yeah? You think I'm holy, huh? Well, just watch this. And it, it reminds me of, have you ever seen a, uh, and usually it's a little dog on a chain that thinks, you know, that it's just, I don't know, in its head is a little bigger than it really is. And, and just you run by and this dog can't help but chase you. And it, somehow it has never figured out the length of its chain yet. You ever seen that dog that literally is going to chase you, get to the end of its chain and, whoa, you know, choke itself at the end of its chain? Well, I use that as a picture Because we've all done this. I mean, since we've said yes to Christ, we have run like that dog on a chain. But isn't it odd that you keep ending up back here? What in the... I mean, honestly, if we will all remember our darkest moments, you'd be like, what in the world am I doing here? Well, it's because... That chain, it's not, you're not chained because God's chaining you against your will. It's because you actually have surrendered your will. In a sane moment, you actually said, God, I want your will. This is literally what you're saying. God, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know 
that I'm occasionally stupid. God, don't let me have my own way. When I want to sin, don't let me. And God will keep that. He'll keep that vow. He'll keep it. And sometimes you'll be that dog at the end of your chain. You're running, proving to God, thinking you're just having a big time, just proving to God, I am anything but holy. Look at this. And all of a sudden, whack. And here you are, back at church, <laughs> worshiping Jesus. Why? It's be- why? Why are you here? Because he owns you, literally owns you. Why? Because you've, 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 you've asked him to. You, you've said yes. Because you want him to. You want him as your father. And that is a powerful experience. And I don't know, but is, is anybody besides me thankful for a big, thick chain? <laughs> anybody besides, like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad he just didn't leave this up on the honor system. I mean, I'm thankful for a nice, thick chain. Because I've run to the end of that thing a few times. Yeah, we have. And thank God for his, his stamp on us, his ownership, and his pulling us back to center. And when he says, be holy because I am holy, again, that's your identity. For me, a different way, something else. It would be like him saying, Brian, I made you a male, a man. Be a man. See, it's not saying that I have to muster this up. He's saying, be what you are. Be what I made you. If you're a mother here, that'd be like God saying, be a mother. Well, if you are a mother, he's not asking you to muster something up. He's not, you, you're not, he's not asking you to grunt and try to become something. He's just saying, be what you are is what God is saying. Just be who you are. You are holy. You are different. You are. This struggle with sin you're having, it's actually not you. That's the reason there's so much anxiety connected. Anytime you're on a sinful path, there's so much anxiety connected with it because you're acting duplicitous. You're, you're acting different than what you really are. You are holy at your core. And that holiness is going to keep pulling on you. It's going to keep. He's going to win. You might as well just give in now, right? He is. He goes on in these verses. In verse 17, the next verse, he says this. Peter says, remember that the heavenly Father, I hope you've read, I hope you read through the book of First Peter. There's a reading plan on U version called Different. I hope you'll sign up for that. It takes you through the whole book of First Peter. And if you've read it, many of you have already finished that plan. Has anybody discovered that Peter wrote a rugged book? It is different than other books. I mean, he is he is wildly confrontational, and he's gonna he's gonna confirm that God is gonna bring you through some suffering on purpose. I don't know, I don't know other word, what other word to use about rugged. Peter just writes this rugged book and he confronts us in his pretty strong ways. And verse 17 is one of those verses. Peter says, remember the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He is your father. He loves you. He loves everybody. He has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live your life. So you must live in reverent fear. Everybody say Fear. Now, there's a topic we don't talk a lot about, but the Bible has a fair amount to say about it, and Peter dives right in the middle of it. Peter's saying, if you really knew your father, he is awesome, he's merciful, he loves you more than you love yourself, he knows how many hairs are on your head. I don't know how many, he's saying he knows you more, more about you than you know about yourself. But at the same exact time, if you really knew him, you would know that he is holy. He's so holy that angels in his presence are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And if you knew him, 
you would know that he does have a way to pull that chain back, that he doesn't just let you go. He doesn't just let you slide. And not only that, he is willing if we prove to him, and again, thank God he's merciful, but there is a point at which you can prove to God, God, I'm not going to do your will. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to. Here's a, here's the great example. The, probably the chief example from Scripture is the Israelites he brought out of Egypt. The Bible tells us to pay special attention to the story of God leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He, he led them out for one reason, and that was to bring them into this promised land, a fruitful place. Fruitful doesn't mean that you're just got millions of dollars. It means that fruitful means that you're being productive. God's will is happening around you. You're, you're seeing God do more through you. You're getting more out than energy you're putting in because God is at work. You're a part of, you're doing his will and it's fruitful. Well, God wants that for every person. And if we just keep doing his will, we end up seeing good things happen around us. Well, the Israelites refused to go into that fruitful land. Why did they refuse to go in? Well, they were going to have to fight some battles. They were going to have to do some things that were difficult. They were going to have to fight some giants. And if you've ever, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, you know that he's going to ask you to fight some battles. It isn't all going to come easy. There's some things he's going to ask you to fight, some struggles he wants to bring you through. And you can do this. You can prove to God. God, the Israelites did it. They proved, God, we're not going to fight. If it doesn't come easy, if we can't get it on our chair, in our sofas, if we can't get it sitting on our sofa, God, we're not going to get it. And they proved it. God was merciful. He gave them chance after chance. But they finally proved, God, we're not going to do it. We're not going to pray for one. We don't care about a mission, God. We just want to sit and learn. When they finally proved that, God said, okay, all right. And he... he Put the, he pulled them back into a wilderness and he shut the cage. He shut the door. He said, all right, you're going to die in this wilderness going in circles. Now, oddly enough, going in circles, he continued to feed them. He continued to take care of them. And be careful because I've met a lot of people and they're just so proud of the fact that, well, God is taking care of me. He's still feeding me. But they pay no attention to the fact that they're doing nothing but going in circles. They're not helping anybody. They're not blessing anybody. They're, they're not loving, giving, or serving They're just going in a circle around themselves. And that circle, how you can tell, is that circle gets more and more miserable. It was so miserable to those Israelites, they literally wanted to go back to slavery. And God is, that's, if you see him as he is, you see him willing to just allow you to dig your own grave with your feet going in circles, if you recognize he is, he is to be feared. He does have a limit. When you see that, it, it produces an appropriate fear an appropriate fear of him, recognizing that he is, he's not only my heavenly father, he's, he is, he is my father, he's also my judge, and he's not gonna just let me slide forever. That produces a healthy fear, and that fear brings you back to center, it brings you back to him, it brings you back to saying yes, and saying yes again just gets you moving. You know, one of the fundamental differences, there's a lot of differences as a Christian, but let me give you one of the biggest ones. And here's one you're not going to hear a lot about, but here's one of the most massive differences supposed to be in a Christian's life. See, the world outside of Christ, if you are not living for God's purpose, let me guarantee you, you have a goal. If you're not living for Christ, here's your goal, something like this. The goal is going to be something like, 
I want to end up in a place where I have enough cash piled up so I can just simply unhook from all responsibility. That's my goal. It's, it's somehow, it's some picture of me sailing away from all responsibility. Again, there's a many different pictures of it, but it's just somehow it's me and I'm only responsible for my margarita. That's it. Me sailing away from responsibility. Gang, if you are walking with Christ, I guess I've got to be honest with you, that is not my goal. I've got to be honest, that, that picture is repulsive to me. Why? Because I've learned, I've learned this the hard way, and I've also learned it the right way, that all of my joy is found in shouldering the responsibility that God gives me. The Bible is perfectly clear. You, you know that the word retirement is not in the Bible? Now, by the way, I'm not suggesting, I hope that there's a day that I can financially retire. I'm not su- suggesting that financial retirement is not right. That's not the point. The point is unhooking from responsibility. As you continue to grow, you're supposed to be shouldering more responsibility. And I look forward to the day that, yes, the church no longer has to pay me. I can retire. But I am never going to unhook from response, I'm, it is my goal, by God's grace, to continue to bless and to benefit God and his people and my family and shoulder responsibility until the day I leave this planet. Are you with me? I want to continue to build the church of Jesus Christ until he takes me home. Are you with me? That's our goal. It really is. What, what's the problem with that, that other goal of just unhooking from all responsibility. Well, here's the problem. If that's your end game, what are you going to do between here and there? If your end picture is just you detached from responsibility, well, then I'll guarantee you what's going to happen between here and there is you're going to be marching towards that. And if the goal is me detached from responsibility, well, I'm going to be slowly unhooking now as little as I can. Just connect myself as little as I can but to that one goal of me, successful me detached. Gang, that is so far from God's plan. Let's see it. See it for what it is. See it for what God has called you to. Peter, how did Peter end? Did Peter end detached from responsibility? Not a chance. He ended up giving his life. I don't know about you. I'd rather go out like Peter went out. I really would. I want to I do God's will, and I hope that that's just, again, that's just part of, of walking with Christ. Part of him is you want his will. You want to further his kingdom every day while you're on this planet. Well, he goes on now in verse 18. He tells us to fear God and just recognize that God is our judge. He goes on in verse 18 to say that, For you know that, the God who, that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Empty life. That empty life, by the way, if you're going in those circles, an empty life is hard to ignore. It really is. You, can, you might be able to fool people around you, but an empty life, you cannot convince yourself. In your soul, you know it. You know it. You know I'm really not benefiting anybody but myself. I'm, I'm really not. An emptiness can just overtake you. And Peter says, God has called you to, he's redeemed you from that. He's, he's brought you into a life where you're praying. And that, again, that's why we ask you to pray for one. It, it just helps with that mission focus. God, today, Send me one person today to share your love with. God, I, I want to live on mission. Now, when Peter says that God wants to save you from an empty life you inherited from your ancestors, that's a really nice way. That's a euphemistic way of saying that all of us probably inherited some patterns in the homes we grew up in 
that didn't necessarily feed a, a mission mindset, that, that maybe were a little bit, well, they were just empty, okay? Uh, now, if you're sitting here with your parents, you just keep looking straight ahead, and you might say something softy like, man, it's really cool to be the exception to that rule, something like that. Um, but for most of us, what's normal is inheriting some empty patterns, some, some, maybe even some dysfunctional patterns of just building around myself. And again, hopefully we're mature enough to recognize the emptiness that results from that and just be done with it. Be done with that. Just say, God, I want holiness. I don't want to see what I can get away with in this world. I don't. I want holiness because happiness is always on the other side of holiness. See, in our world, seemingly the antithesis, what the world will tell you is the world literally worships happiness. And if it doesn't make you happy, I mean, if it's hard, for heaven's sakes, if you're in a marriage that isn't making you happy right now, well, you've got to bail, don't you? I mean, you have to because God would never want you to be unhappy for any extended period of time whatsoever, right? Again, happiness is a product of holiness. You stick and commit and love and give and serve in the places where God puts you and watch happiness blossom. Watch it grow. You keep investing in the things that are wise and watch it grow on the back end. Don't put happiness in front of holiness. It's the other way around. Put holiness first. God's will is for you to be holy and your happiness will result. It's not the other way around. Well, he tells us he wants us to be redeemed from an empty life, and ultimately the result of being redeemed from that empty life is living on purpose, living a holy life, and that means, again, that we're different. After you've preached the same sermon four times on a weekend, you forget if I said this. I think I've already said this, but the definition, literally the, the definition of that Greek word translated holy is to be set apart, to be different. So here's an interesting question. What is different about your life? Then the world around you, the people you work with who don't know Christ, the, the world. What's different about your family? I interviewed my children, each of them, this week. And sure enough, they could all give me a quick list of things that are different. They've been with their friends and they're kind of, quite honestly, in, in their minds, they maybe kind of want what their friends have, but we're different. And uh, let me tell you a funny story. When I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I remember a new kid. I graduated from a really small high school. I graduated with 22 people in my grade. And uh, we were a big class, by the way. Uh, but a new kid moved to town. When a new kid moves to town, I mean, you get to know him because he's the new kid, right? Well, a new guy moved to town. I think we're on sixth, fifth or sixth grade. Leroy. Leroy came to town, and Leroy was the new class clown. And Leroy brought dirty magazines to school. His dad was a truck driver who was very seldom home, and uh, when he was home, left these pornographic magazines with Leroy. So Leroy was bringing those to school, and well, I thought Leroy was pretty awesome. <laughs> and I invited Leroy to spend the night, you know, just hang out, we we're going to go, and so we, you know, spent the day shooting birds and having all sorts of boy fun, and the next morning, I woke up you know, school the next day, and I woke up, and as soon as my eyes opened, it dawned on me, oh my gosh, I completely forgot, 
but our morning ritual was, you know, you get ready, get you take a shower, get ready, go down for breakfast. And at breakfast, Dad does <gasps> devotions. I had completely forgot about family devotions. And here's Leroy. And Leroy is the cool kid. And, oh, and I thought, surely Dad is not going to humiliate me in front of Leroy. Because our devotions, we didn't just, Dad didn't just read from a devotional. Now, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't specifically remember this morning that well. But what was normal, from the majority of our growing up years, devotions also included our family singing a song. <laughs> and when Leroy wasn't there, that was cool. It was like, oh, you just uncork the song, right? But that ain't cool with Leroy. <laughs> So I remember thinking, oh, Lord, please, just please let me show up to the breakfast table and dad is left early. You know, surely dad knows Leroy's here. He's going to give me a break. But now we get down to the kitchen table and I mean, yeah, the kitchen, the breakfast table and there's dad and there's the book. (laughs) Now, so of course, I'm mortified. I've... I've lost all cool factor now. I know Leroy's going to go tell everybody what a weird family I came from. So in my mind, you know, my life is over. In my mind, Leroy just experienced the weirdest thing in the history of the world, and he just knows that we're some sort of cult or something. Well, you know, I didn't ask him, of course. You're going to do your best to ignore it. And, And he didn't say anything. But it took me a while to figure out. Actually, eventually, Leroy started coming to church to us. But I eventually discovered, because well, Leroy told me, that he thought that was the coolest thing he ever saw in his life. You see, Leroy's dad was completely uninvolved. Now, at that time, you know, when you're part of a different home, you think that's what you want. Yeah, you just want all the freedoms in the world. Well, Leroy thought that was the coolest thing he'd ever seen. A family, a dad, who would sit there and lead his family in devotions. Leroy thought that was amazing. He started coming to church with us. He found Christ. I just talked to him just this past week. He is still devoted to Christ, faithful, leading a Christian home, active in ministry, furthering the kingdom of God. And it all began... And I'm thankful now, I'm thankful that my parents weren't ashamed to be, everybody say this word, say different. They weren't ashamed to be different. They didn't try to hide it. Now most of us, you you recognize some things that as followers of Christ are different, but are, are you trying to hide it? Is that your goal, to make sure that nobody knows? Hide it. I'm not suggesting that it's our goal I mean, your family, every family probably does have some mildly weird (laughs) thing you do. I am not suggesting that it is is our job to uh, unveil every oddity of your... That's not my point. All right, you know, we can have our goofiness at home. But don't try to hide Christ. Don't try to hide the difference, because there is a difference. Holiness is different. That's the very definition of it. And you are holy. And no, we don't just watch everything they watch. We don't just do everything they do. We don't. We can't just have sex with whoever, whatever. No, we can't. You know, honestly, there's two things. The Bible, there's a lot of 
areas of holiness that God calls us to. But you know the two that are spoken of most commonly, the two areas of temptation, two areas of human temptation that are spoken of the most by Jesus and every other writer in Scripture is sexual holiness and, and money, greed. And it's just, it's just a healthy thing to recognize that, you know what, I have desires in the areas of greed, in the areas of sex, that, well, if I just let myself go, if I just let myself go and do everything that I think is going to make me happy, well, let me just put it this way, gang, I, I am your pastor. I, I like to think that I'm walking a relatively holy line, but I'll just tell you the honest truth. If I just acted on every crazy thought that went through my brain, I just did every crazy thing that went through my brain that I thought might be fun, I'd be in prison by this afternoon. <laughs> and you'd be right next to me. If you did. Now we laugh at that, but I think we get it. That no, no, there, there are some things we have to say no to, but it's not because we're the fun police. It's because we think that God is actually, we don't want that empty life. We don't want that empty life. We want to be different. We want to be followers of our Father. You know, as I, as I quizzed my children and asked them, talked to them about what is different in our home, they all had some really clear examples. They could name it immediately. Here's my simple question for you. What is different in your life? What is different? Different than people who don't know Christ. Different than the world around you. Different than maybe co-workers who don't know Christ. Would you just close your eyes for just a second and ask yourself that question internally. Answer that question. What is different? What is different in my own heart? What is different and, and maybe there's some things in your life that God is asking of you that you would just sense in your heart that, you know what, I think God wants me to be different in this area. This needs to be different than it is right now. Now, nobody's looking around, but if that's you and you just sense that call that God wants something to be different, God is placing that stamp of holiness on you and saying, this is going to be different. Again, we're not looking around, but if that's you, would you raise your hand right there where you're seated and say, man, that's me. That's me. Just keep your hand up for just a minute. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ for every hand that is lifted. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, we want to be holy. And Lord, we say yes to you. Lord Jesus, yes. Yes to your spirit. Yes to your ways. Yes to you. Can we all, let's all just repeat this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, you gave everything to me and I give my heart to you. I want to be different. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name.